This morning's scripture reading is 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 and 6 through 14. There are two names um, that are very similar, so I'll try to enunciate so that you can follow along. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went, and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other, until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended into a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, but when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. Elisha, Elisha succeeds Elijah. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As you heard in today's scripture, so well read by Aaron, the torch is being passed between two of Israel's renowned prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is nearing the end of his great ministry. He has spoken the word of God against the wicked king Ahab and his foreign queen Jezebel. He has battled the priests of the fertility god Baal and defeated them and has survived the death plots of Queen Jezebel. In the name of God, Elijah has condemned the king's injustice, has raised a boy from the dead, and has broken a lengthy drought. Now, God is calling him home. But a terrible time of trial persists. God's covenant people are still straying from the path of righteousness still living lives of injustice, still tempted to turn their backs on Yahweh to follow pagan gods. 
So Yahweh has designated a successor prophet, Elisha. As biblical scholar Richard Nelson points out, there is an almost comical aspect to the start of this passage, as Elijah seems to try to shake off the tag-along Elisha in what Nelson describes as a pointless roundabout journey from Gilgal, near the Jordan River, to Bethel, and then back to Jericho, only a few kilometers from Gilgal and the Jordan. So they kind of do a roundabout loop to come back to essentially where they were, where they started. At the Jordan, Elijah embarks upon another journey, this time through the people's history, as he strikes the Jordan River with his mantle and turns the back its waters, reenacting both the crossing of the Red Sea that began the exodus from Egypt and the crossing of that same Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant, which ended the exodus and began the conquest of the promised land. But Elisha is undeterred. Like Ruth cleaving to, to Naomi, he will not leave his mentor. But look, each time his vow to remain with Elijah is prefaced by the words, by the living God. Why is this phrase so important to Elisha, to Elijah, and to the narrator of this story of transition? As author Thomas Cahill wrote in his excellent book, The Gift of the Jews, the Yahweh religion of the Jews was a radical departure from other Middle Eastern religions because it was based on a historical promise that would only be fulfilled in the distant future. All other religions of that time were firmly anchored in the present. You were born, you died, and that was the end of things. There was no hope for your children to have a better future than you did. God chose to create a covenant with one person, Abraham, and through him, his descendants. Yahweh would be their God, and they would be Yahweh's people. It seemed crazy. Abraham was elderly. His wife, Sarah, was too old and could not conceive. But Abraham responded to God's call based on that improbable promise. The Apostle Paul attributed this to blind faith. And God made Abraham and Sarah the parents of a nation. Fast forward many generations in the history of Israel and Yahweh is still looking after Abraham and Sarah's descendants. They are living in Palestine surrounded by hostile, idol-worshiping nations. When necessary, God sends a champion to defend them, think of Samson, or a prophet to guide them, think of Samuel. Nonetheless, the people are dissatisfied. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 8 that the elders go to the prophet Samuel and demand one thing that they believe the nations around them have that Israel doesn't, a king a king to govern them, to fight their battles for them. 
That would make everything right. Samuel is shocked. What are they thinking? God is their king. Despite Samuel's warnings at the behest of God that a king will take their sons for his army, their daughters for his servants, and their best fields, vineyards, and olive groves to give to his courtiers, the people are adamant. Yahweh tells Samuel, give them a king. They are not rejecting you, Samuel. They are rejecting me. As anyone who's read the Old Testament knows, the king experiment does not go well. The kings do all that Samuel warns and more. Rather than placing their faith in Yahweh to protect the kingdom and the people, they form disastrous foreign alliances. They split the nation in two with their dynastic struggles. They marry foreign princesses who bring their idols and priests to turn the people away from God. And so Yahweh continues to send prophets to castigate the kings, to exhort the people, and to demonstrate the power of the Holy One of Israel. And so, the need for a successor to Elijah. As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Elisha swears by the fact that God is a living being with a historical relationship to himself and to the covenant people. The prophet Isaiah, writing centuries later, will lampoon the pagan gods and idols that vie with the living God for the people's loyalty. Idols, he demonstrates, must be carried on the shoulders of humans to move from place to place. Yahweh, on the other hand, roams the world like the wind at will. A craftsman, Isaiah says, makes an idol from the same log of wood that he uses to heat himself and cook his meal. Yahweh is the creator of everything, who can raise mountains and fill valleys. There is no comparison. As the Apostle Paul puts it, it is insane to think that the creator should worship the created. The potter does not worship the pot. Now there's an old joke that you may have heard, particularly if you've hung around me long enough, about a man who lived on a hilltop way out in the country. One day it started to rain, and it rained, and it rained, and the stream down below his house swelled with water, lapping at the bottom of the small bridge that led to his house. A jeep came racing across the bridge and pulled up in front of the house where the owner was sitting, rocking patiently on the porch. Quick, get in, shouted the driver. I'll take you to safety. No thanks, said the man. I know God will save me. The driver put his jeep in gear and he raced down the hill and back across the stream just before the raging water swept the bridge away. As the hours passed, the water rose higher, creeping up the hillside, covering the porch and first floor of the house and forcing the man to climb up to the second floor. A rescue boat appeared in the distance and drew closer until it bumped up against the sill of the second floor window where the homeowner stood. Get in, shouted the firefighter in the boat. I'll take you to safety. 
No thanks, said the man. God will save me. So the firefighter turned the bow of the boat away from the little home and went in search of another person to save. The rain continued and the water rose higher until it flooded the second floor too. Soon the man climbed up to the peak of the roof and clung to the chimney. A helicopter flew near, hovered over the roof, and dropped a rope. Climb up, yelled the pilot. I'll take you to safety. No thanks, said the man, shouted the man. God will save me. The helicopter circled the house once and then sped away. The rain fell harder and the water continued to rise until it covered the roof. The man lost his grip on the chimney, was swept away, and drowned. When the man reached the pearly gates, God was there in radiant magnificence to greet him. What happened, demanded the man. Why did you forsake me? I lived a Christian life, and I thought for sure that you would save me from the flood. The Holy One paused. Well, I sent the jeep, I sent the boat, I sent the helicopter. Sometimes we presume to know so well the will of God and how God is supposed to meet our needs that we are blindsided, like the man in the story, when Yahweh responds, but in an unexpected way. Sometimes we fail to see God's hand and purpose in the challenging events around us, and we think the Holy One has abandoned us. This Sunday, we're briefly between pastors, and perhaps we feel uncertain or rudderless. We are used to having a strong spiritual voice in this pulpit and not a weak and rambling substitute. The word pastor comes from the Latin for shepherd, and the image of the shepherd is a strong one in our Judeo-Christian tradition. The leader who watches the flock, nurtures it, and keeps it safe from harm. But in truth, this moment does not find us without pastoral care. Just as the Israelites of Samuel's day had a king in Yahweh, although they forgot it, we have a pastor in the living God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. I was reflecting that Jim Batten was the pastor of this church when Susie and I joined it. And I warned him I was going to mention him when he came into the church. He was one of the finest, most deeply spiritual leaders that I have known. But Susie and I have remarked to each other many times that it was not Jim's leadership nor his dynamic preaching that attracted us to Wesley. Rather, it was this congregation. It was the sense of coming home to family from the first time, the first moment that we walked in those doors. It was the inspiration, the leadership, and the welcoming love of saints like Helen and George Fryer, and Harry and Betty Ferris, and Janet Merrill, that made us decide that this would be our spiritual home. During this brief time of transition, as we await our interim pastor Jane, and during her tenure, let's listen for the voice of God 
to hear how Yahweh is calling us as the body of Christ. What is the Holy Spirit directing us to do as individuals and as a congregation to minister to each other and lead the church? How are we called to make Wesley United Methodist Church a beacon to the community? Let's reflect. Are we expectantly waiting for a fiery chariot when God's fiery chariot when God's helicopter is right here in front of us? Is the living God manifest in us, not up in the pulpit, but in the pew next to us? How is each one of us a pastor to the other and to our broader community? God lives indeed, but God lives in us. I leave you with these words from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, written for a congregation, perhaps not very different from ours, of Christians 2,000 years ago. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gifts each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God provides, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever. Amen.